Praise God. That's it. They're on time. Go. They're excited, see? Sometimes when the saints come dragging in, they go marching out. Amen. Praise the Lord. Isn't God good to us? What a God we serve. My Redeemer lives. Amen. When, when hell had thrown the kitchen sink at his servant Job. A good man. A godly man. And hell just turned it loose on him. And it seems like he lost everything almost overnight. And even his dearest friends that supposedly knew God had not the best counsel. In fact, they had accusation. He didn't know why and he didn't know when. But one thing he knew, my Redeemer lives. I don't know why I'm in this mess. I don't know when I'm coming out of this mess. But one thing I know, my Redeemer lives. And as long as he lives, everything's going to be all right. Can you say amen? Turn with me, if you would, to Second Peter. And we'll spend at least two, possibly three weeks here. But let's start out with the very, the last two verses of this short book. Chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. And then we'll jump and we'll go back to the beginning and we'll look at our text. Peter writes, therefore, dear friends, since you have, you already know this, he's talking about false teachers, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. Everybody say guard. guard. All right, next verse. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now, forever, and ever. Amen. Everybody say, grow. grow. Okay, He's calling us to guard, and He's calling us to grow. Now, if you would, let's go to the very first verse of Second Peter. And we're going to read 11 verses, so just kind of walk with it. We'll spend two to three weeks here, but there is so much here. Uh, I think one time on a, on a Sunday night, we probably spent a few months here, but we won't spend that much time. But verse number one, Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of God, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of our God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort or be diligent to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. Verse 8, for if you possess these qualities in an increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, He's nearsighted and blind. He's forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. And here's our verse. Mark it down in your thinking. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. 
For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? Amen. I'm going to use as a title for these next few weeks, Making Salvation Sure. Making Salvation Sure. Now, we're going to comment on verse 10. We'll comment and then we'll start with verse 1 and walk it through. But verse 10 is that where our title is coming from. And he talks about, be sure, make your election sure. Be diligent. Make every effort to make your calling an election sure. Be um, eager, diligent to make your election and calling sure. The condition of your soul and your eternal destiny is something you want to be sure about. Come on, amen. Now, if you want to be sure about something, be sure the condition of your soul. There's no room for wondering when it comes to the condition of your soul. There's certainly no room for mistakes or hope so's in this most critical and eternal topic of life. Don't take any chances. Know that you know. Know why you know. Let it be sure that you belong to Jesus and there's fruits and evidence thereof. Being sure is assurance. We sing about blessed assurance. Well, assurance is a person's confidence that he truly possesses eternal salvation. The believer who pursues the spiritual qualities that Peter has just written about, mentioned above by his life and his fruit, he demonstrates that in fact he is a child of God and he's been born from above. By cultivating, Peter's teaching the young church, by cultivating the qualities in verses 5, 6, and 7, believers can be assured that God has chosen them that they have responded to the call of His grace, they have been born from above, and the genuineness of their profession will be shown, illustrated, demonstrated, as they express these virtues. Making it sure. Making it sure. Now, verse 1, we see our author is none other than than Peter. At this point in Peter's life, he's an older apostle and shepherd. He is um, a real father, a real spiritual father to the church at this point in life. In his early years, we, we, we remember Peter, he, um, he could be a bit impulsive and overconfident. He um, rushed ahead when he should have waited. He slept when he should have prayed. He talked when he should have listened. He was courageous, but he was a bit careless and presumptuous. He cut off ears and put foot in his mouth and he tried to tell Jesus what to do and what not to do. It's never wise to tell Jesus what to do and what not to do. Amen. That's not it. But Peter, but but now, but now, but now he's an older gentleman. This is 30, 40 years from the time that, 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 that Jesus died and resurrected. So now Peter, he had grown and he had learned and he's trying to help us learn. And he's trying to help the young church to learn. And we see the last verses. He calls them to guard and to grow. To guard and to grow. Knowing and growing, as one author put it. Peter actually is at the end of his life. He writes this in the first chapter. He knows it's coming soon. And the church was in danger of false teachers and false teachings. But before he deals with the false, Peter opens a letter by describing the healthy Christian life. He's urging the believers here and urging us to do their part, to be diligent. To be sincere in effort in growing and maturing in the great salvation that they have received. For surely the starting point of this Christian experience is when we come to know Jesus Christ personally. 
receive Him personally. But then the rest of our life for the sincere believer, for the healthy Christian, is a pursuit in knowing Him and walking with Him more and more and more. It's like walking down the aisle and you say, I do. That's not the end. That's just the beginning. That's merely the starting point. And the rest of life is walking together and talking together and growing together. Somebody say amen. I saw an elbow fly. We'll have marriage counsel later. I don't know. I, I don't know. I didn't mean that one, but hey. First Peter had the emphasis on the grace of God. The grace of God. But now Second Peter is going to emphasize the knowledge of God. Now, to know or knowledge is used about 13 times in just these three short chapters. And the word does not mean merely an intellectual understanding of a truth, though that's part of it. It speaks of knowing Him personally, intimately, experientially. It means having a living participation in the truth, in the sense of what Jesus meant in His high priestly prayer when He prayed in John 17 and verse 3. He says, now this is eternal life that they may know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom You have sent. Eternal life is not just repeating a prayer. It's having a living, breathing relationship with the true and living God and Jesus Christ whom He had sent. Not merely academic or intellectual knowledge. The Word signifies a knowledge that comes from intimate fellowship with the Lord. For instance, a simple, simple example... I know of George Washington. I believe in George Washington. I'm thankful for George Washington, but I don't know George Washington. It's not enough just to say you've heard of a man called Jesus and you believe there was a man called Jesus and, and you like some of the teachings. Do you know him personally? Have you given your life to him sincerely and completely? That's when it comes to knowing and walking with this God. The Apostle Paul he writes in 2 Timothy, that famous verse, he says, he doesn't say, I know what I have believed in. He says, I know in whom I have believed in. And that's Christianity, knowing Him personally, walking with Him intimately. William Barclay writes it like this, Christian knowledge of Christ is a personal acquaintance with Him. It is knowing Him as a person and entering day by day into a more intimate relationship with Him. Christianity is an ever-deepening personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he prayed this prayer showing us the heart of the Father, showing us the heart and the will of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 and 17 and 18. And it's a prayer that we all might know Him better. That we might understand His will and His calling and His inheritance. Paul writes, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you, give you church, the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. Someone says, I already know Him. Absolutely. So did they that Peter is writing to. So did they that Paul is writing to. They're writing to believers that know Him. But he's saying, don't stop there. That's just a starting point. If you want to have the fruits that you really got, what's eternal and lasting, then you got to keep growing and you got to keep knowing and you got to keep moving and you got to keep advancing and you got to keep maturing and that walk in transformation. Somebody say Amen. 
Look at this again. I keep asking. Paul says, this is the burden that God has put on my heart. This is the will that the Father is revealing to His people. The desire of God is that we might have a spirit of wisdom and revelation so we can know Him better. And he says, and I also pray that the eyes of your heart, that your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which He's called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Oh my! That we might understand and experience and enter into a greater measure of this great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Again, it's a personal relationship, not just an introduction. I've been introduced to a lot of people in my life. I don't have a relationship with with nearly a fraction of them. And so again, we... Think of the wonderful salvation we have and how God has called us not just to settle with a a, a basic level, but to grow in it and enjoy it and go deeper into it. Now, Peter opens his letter with a description of the healthy Christian life and how it is marked by three. He makes three important affirmations about this life, and that'll kind of be our outline for these next two or three weeks. Number one, the Christian life begins with faith. He's going to talk about the like precious faith we have, verses one through four. But that faith, if it's real, if it's alive, amen? You know, then that baby comes out, they're going to smack that bottom, they want to hear it cry, amen? Want to hear life. God wants to hear life. If you're born again, there's life. How many remember the old Wendy's commercial? Where's the beef, amen? Where's the beef? If you truly got the goods, if you truly been born from above, there'll be a substance, there'll be a fruit, there'll be a reality that men cannot deny. Because faith, true faith in Christ, results in spiritual growth. Then spiritual growth brings practical results. If you're still living the same way you did before, then you didn't get the real thing. And there was something short-circuited somewhere along the way. Hallelujah. Christian life begins with faith. Now, verse 1, verse 1, we just got to get an introduction to this little mini-series. In verse 1, we will see how Peter is going to identify himself. He will identify the Lord Jesus. And he will identify our faith. Verse 1 begins, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle. A servant and an apostle. He identifies himself. He identifies the Lord. He identifies our faith. He starts out, he calls himself, he identifies himself as a servant and an apostle. A servant, a a doulos, literally a a bond slave. He, He belongs to Jesus Christ by right of purchase and so do you and so do I. We belong to Him. We're not our own. Most of us are very familiar with First Peter verses 18 and 19. First Peter, we're familiar with this. We sing about this. First um, Peter chapter 1 verses 18 and 19. And he writes, For you know this, you know this, that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, handed down to you by your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Oh, how God valued you. Oh, how God so greatly loved you and paid the price to demonstrate that love. Oh, what God was willing to do 
to take you and I from where we were and bring us to where He called us to be. How wonderful and lavish is the grace of God that shed blood to redeem us, that shed blood to reconcile us and take us out of our sin and bring us into His presence. What a wonderful thing. God has made us sons and yet God has also called us as servants. And as a servant, Peter describes himself not just as an apostle. That would have been easy. I'm an apostle. But he said, no, before I'm an apostle, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Because I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. Can you say amen? Yeah. We're not our own. That precious blood was shed that we might belong to God. And we do, and that's a good thing. As a servant of Christ, Peter is to obey his command And do His will. As a servant of Christ. He belongs to the one who bought Him. And so do we. And though servant can be a title, especially in the world of humiliation, the greatest men of the Bible took it as a title of greatest honor. We think back of Moses, the lawgiver and emancipator. We think of Joshua. The great and mighty general. We think of David, the greatest of the kings and all the prophets. In the New Testament, we think of Paul and, and James and Jude. All of them servants, the Scripture declares, servants of God, servants of Jesus Christ. And because the servant has stature by virtue of the Lord he serves, therefore, church, don't ever be ashamed or timid about being a servant of Jesus Christ. Wear it as a badge of great honor. Wear it as a badge of glorious privilege. Let it comfort you because you belong to Him. He will take good care of you. He'll watch over your life. He'll be your shield and He'll be your shade. He'll order your steps. He'll supply your needs. You're not your own. And that's a good thing. That's a peaceful thing. That's a liberating thing. I belong to Him who is altogether lovely, who knows the end from the beginning, who holds me in the hollow of His hand. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ and it comforts me. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ and it encourages me because He has authorized me and empowered me to live the life He's called me to live, to carry out the work He's chosen for my life. It's a good thing to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. It comforts our hearts. It encourages our faith. And it ought to motivate our lives because there's nothing more important in this life and in the life to come than the will and the work and the plan of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We live in such a carnal world where even Christians can hear the word servant and something cringes in them. I want you to know if you're feeling that, that's your flesh. That is not the Spirit. That's the carnal world in which we live in. We're seeker-friendly this and all that nonsense has corrupted and defiled the true new birth. And we got a quasi-Christian. It's not real. A lot of it's not real at all. But when you're truly born from above, you could sing with all your heart. What a wonderful change in my life have been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. And you're not ashamed to declare I belong to Him. He purchased me. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. And that's a good thing. That's a comforting thing. That means He's going to take care of me. That means He's going to watch over me. That means I can depend on Him. I'm His problem now. Can you say Amen? 
But Peter and so many in the Bible, we skip over the introductions if we do read it at all. And we skip over and, and, and he called himself servants. And I think that's important for everyone to realize we're not our own. We belong to Jesus. My life is his. If you're saved, you can't go to heaven being your own man. I'm sorry to tell you that. You're not going to get to heaven by merely a religion that has Christianity in it. You cannot go to heaven merely because you follow the principles of Jesus the teacher. This Jesus must be one's Lord and Savior or there is no entrance. Oh, my. Don't mind me. I just felt like preaching just a little bit. Peter identifies himself as a servant, and I think that's important for us to understand. If you're truly born again, we're servants of the Lord. But it's a good thing. Though the flesh don't like that, but the flesh doesn't like to be told what to do, not even by God. But the spiritual man that understands that finds great liberty, comfort, and encouragement in that. It's wonderful. I belong to the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? He's the shepherd. I'm just, eh, I'm just a dumb old sheep, but that's all right. He's going to take care of me. He's going to protect me. He's going to provide for me. When I have a problem, I can come and get counsel. When I have a burden, I can come and get strength. It's a good thing to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he identifies himself, but then he identifies the Lord. And well, let's look at that. He identifies himself as a servant. And then he identifies Jesus as God and Savior. In verse 1 he writes, Peter, Simon Peter, a servant apostle, to those who through righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He identifies Jesus as both our God and our Savior. The grammar here leaves little doubt that these words are speaking of the same person. Peter is calling Jesus Christ both God and Savior. Sovereign and Savior. It's a beautiful thing that he's not just a teacher. He's not just a motivational speaker. He's not just a miracle worker. He's God the Son and he's the Son of God. Wow. He speaks of God the Savior. And not only He's God, but He's also our Savior. Because we all need a Savior. He's our Savior. From the beginning, the angel said, You shall call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. And then Jesus said, He said, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So we thank the Lord that He is Jesus Christ, he is God. That's why He's never to be on any kind of equal basis with all these religious teachers. No, 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 no. He alone is worthy. God became man and dwelt among us. God. But He's also our Savior. And you're going to see that again and again in this letter. He's our Savior. Has He saved you? Have you responded to His call of salvation? You need a Savior. You can't get to heaven because you're pathetic or you have good works. You can't get to heaven because your daddy was a preacher. Or, oh, no, 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 no. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ, the Savior. Oh, my. We'll touch on that a little bit later. But thirdly, he identifies the faith that we have. And this is interesting. He calls it a, a like precious faith as ours. And what Peter is saying here is the faith you have, folks, is equal in honor, in privilege, in substance as the Faith the apostles had way back when. There's no first class, second class citizens in this Christian experience. He says, Peter's writing, the like precious faith. Peter and Paul, they got the same faith we do. We got the same faith they did. It's the same in our standing, in our relationship with the Lord. It's a great salvation that we possess. If you're born again, 
You have the same new birth, the same Holy Spirit, the same precious promises, the same gifts, the same access that Paul did and Peter did, so we can expect the same things and walk in the same victory. We've all received a like precious faith. Isn't that good? They're not a, a caste system in the kingdom of God. They're, they're, they're not a first class, second class. No, 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 no. If you're a child of God, then you are a child of God in the same salvation you have. Same as Paul. Same as Peter. Same as John. The Christian life begins with faith. Verses 1 through 4. And first of all, let's notice that, that faith is in a person. That faith is in a person. It's not in a creed. It's not in a denomination. It's not in a tradition. It's in the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. The person is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the Son, the Savior. And Peter repeats this title throughout his letter. And he speaks to us this faith that we have. The Christian life begins as like precious faith. It's not just faith in, in, in a philosophy. It's not just faith in my own goodness. It's faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's faith in Him who came, the sinless sacrifice that died and rose again. It's faith in a person. Not just faith in His teaching. Not just faith that He was. But faith in who He is and a present faith of service and commitment to Him. Galatians 2 and 16. Galatians 2 and 16. A very simple verse. But throughout the Word of God, it is stressed. Um, it's in a person. Not in some people have a faith in a philosophy. Some have a faith in a creed. But beyond that, it's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes, knowing that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Not, not just because I believe what my church believes. No, 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 no. You receive and have faith in Christ, in the living Christ, in Jesus and what He's done. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. By observing the law, no one's justified. By our own righteousness, our own efforts, no one can be made right before God. It comes through faith in the person, the Lord Jesus Christ, when John began his letter in the first chapter, he says, speaking of Jesus, He came unto His own, but His own received Him not. But to as many as received Him, received a person, not just a new, th- a person, to receive Christ to them, He gave the power to become sons of God, even to those that believe on His name. Now this, um, this Jesus that we put our faith in, He is, he is our Savior. And a Savior, of course, is one that brings salvation. It was a familiar word back in the Bible days. The ancient world would use the word Savior in a variety of ways and expressions. Um, It could mean a deliverance from trouble, specifically an enemy. They could use it for doctors because doctors would bring healing and they called the doctor a Savior and bring healing from disease. The word Savior could be um, used uh, talking about a victorious general that would save the city from the enemy. Or even a wise governor that would save and govern wisely, saving the people from chaos and tyranny and confusion. And when you study all the different ways this word Savior was used in the Bible days in the ancient world, it's not hard to see how it so beautifully communicates and expresses the heart, the will, the work of Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, we see all these wonderful expressions. For He is our great physician who heals the soul from sin and sorrow. He is the victorious general 
who has delivered us from the enemy and has conquered death, hell, and the grave. He is the very wisdom of God who has became our wonderful counselor, our comforter, and our guide. Oh, what a Savior we serve. What a wonderful Savior. But remember, He must be more than just a Savior. He's got to be more than the Savior. He must be your Savior if you're going to know His salvation. Can you say amen? Brother Wearsby writes it very well. Let me just quote him here. Dr. Wearsby writes, Speaking about faith must be in a person. It must be in the Savior to receive His salvation. And he writes, Salvation involves much more than knowing facts about Jesus Christ or even having special good feelings towards Jesus Christ. Salvation comes to us when by an act of the will we receive Christ as our Savior and our Lord. Amen. The great salvation He grants to us. Within this salvation, you'll see three words in verses 1 and 2, and it expresses three beautiful things that Jesus gives to us in this salvation that we can find nowhere else. Three eternal gems and gifts. We look at verses 1 and 2, and we see the word righteousness, we see the word grace, and we see the word peace. The Savior has brought us, He rescues us from, but lavishes upon righteousness, grace, and peace. Looking at verses 1 and 2, Simon Peter, a servant apostle of Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Or be multiplied. Now, that's, that's an interesting word. Through, here's that word knowledge, so, through the knowledge of our God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pause there now. Three thoughts. When we get saved, three things Peter begins, he expresses that Jesus brings into our life righteousness, grace, and peace. Righteousness. Well, when I receive Him as Savior, when you receive Him as Savior, His righteousness becomes your righteousness. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 um, that he who had no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When, when you receive righteousness from Jesus Christ, that means sin is gone and you now have a right standing before a holy and awesome God. And there is no place else to get that but through the blood of Christ. There is no one else that can give you that except the Lord Jesus Christ. So in this great salvation that our Savior has brought us, number one, Peter says, we have been made righteous through that blood. We've been righteous through that Savior. You and I, though at one time, we might have been so far gone and so vile and so whacked down in sin. But now, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you who have made Him your Savior, have given Him your life, put your faith in Him, you are now clothed in His righteousness. Righteousness, and when the Father sees you, you stand in the righteous robes of Christ alone. What a beautiful thought that your sin is gone and your standing is as perfect as the standing of Christ. But now, secondly, he says, God also gives us grace and peace. But before we look at those two thoughts, notice in, in, in verse in verse number in verse number two, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now that's an interesting word. Now some of you would say, um, translate, be multiplied. Amen? Be multiplied. 
Um, uh, my math teacher. Is Amy here? My math teacher around? Um, there she is. Math. We, we learned a while ago in one of our teachings that, that multiplying is better than adding. Amen? You, you grow quicker when you multiply than when you add to something. And, and, and so I want you to see this word because God, God says, now once you got saved, God says, listen, I have an unbending, unexhaustible, unending river of grace and peace that is available for your life, every day, every moment. Now, it doesn't come by being bopped on the head by the holy hotshot, but it comes through the knowledge and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It comes through walking with Him, feeding on that Word, growing in that relationship. Come on, say amen. I know it's easier to stand in line for someone to bop you on the head, pour some oil on you, than then digging in and developing that relationship. I kind of jumped the gun, but I want to get back to this Word. Grace and peace be yours in what? In abundance. My goodness. My goodness. Abundance. Be, be, be multiplied to you. I mean, God, I just want to keep growing and growing. Grace not only to save you, but grace to keep you. And grace to give you strength. And grace to give you peace. And grace to give you joy. Grace for your service. And grace for your sanctification. Grace for every challenge. Grace for every circumstance. Grace to help you grow. Grace to help you endure. Grace to help you on the mountaintop. Grace to bring you through the valley. God says, I have an inexhaustible supply of grace. Where is it, preacher? It's as we grow in Him and we learn of Him. Grow in the knowledge, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. The grace of God doesn't come through a, 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 a denomination. It doesn't come through learning a secret. It comes through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and truth comes through Him. And as we walk with Him, we open up and we receive the grace that God has. Grace and peace. I like it. One writer put it this way, kind of explaining this Greek word. And he says, it's as if God is writing, may it come in an unending and abundant stream. Abund- the streams of God's grace never flow. I remember um, when I was young, and I guess I still like to read a good comic strip from now and then. When I was young, I, I was like Dennis the Menace. Anybody remember Dennis? All right. All right. I'm going to tie this in with abundance, so pay attention. <laughs> Dennis the Menace catches his friend Joey. Remember little Joey uh, trying to get a, a newspaper out of the machine? He's trying to pull on that thing, pull on that. And so Dennis says, wait, wait, Joey, Joey, wait. First you've got to put the money in the slot, and then you can get as many papers as you want. And just <laughs> Then you can have abundance. Then you can have all you want. And you know, the fact of the matter is, what Peter's writing here, after the initial transaction by putting your faith in Christ and becoming a child of God, being born from above. Then you enter through that throne. You enter before the throne of grace. And there is an abundant, continual supply of the mercy and the goodness and the kindness and the peace of God that you can have all that you want, but it comes through our knowledge of our God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh my, oh my. He says, now you have in abundance, number one, you have grace. Grace is God's undeserved favor. Isn't that wonderful? 
I'm glad it's undeserved, then who could get it? Amen? But it's not just undeserved mercy, because that's kind of like not getting what you, you deserve, and thank God for mercy, but undeserved grace. He gives us things. He blesses us. It's, you can be, um, you can enjoy the blessings of sonship, not just forgiveness. You can realize I'm highly favored now, and I can enjoy the fact that God smiles upon me. And that God has said, I have, I have grace for you in abundance, son. Whatever you need for every aspect. And this grace flows to us through Jesus Christ. John 1, verses 16 and 17. That's why i got to get you. You walk with Jesus. How's your walk with Jesus? Your church attendance is important. Very important. It'll usually reflect your walk with Jesus. But nothing's as important as your walk with Jesus. Again, salvation is not just mentally believing accurate things. It's having a personal relationship with this Christ. You didn't just say, I do, and then you went your way and she went her way. Then you began enjoying a life together and building a life together and growing. And some of you all have been married longer than I've been alive, and you're still finding out new things every now and again, aren't you? Amen? Just when you thought, what new could there be? Surprise, surprise, there you go. <laughs> but, but that's what happens when you walk together and you grow in the grace and knowledge. Because we never reach the full, we never reach it all, do we, on this side of eternity? And even in eternity, we never, how can we? There's always room to know Him better and to grow more. And John says it so well. Here, speaking of Jesus. From the fullness, oh, that word fullness is good. Isn't a good, good word fullness? Amen? Not cheapness, not stinginess, not just a little dab will do you. I need more than a dab of grace. Anybody? I need a whole lot of grace, and I'm glad He provides a whole lot. It's a, from the fullness of His grace, we, we're the we, all right? We have all received one blessing after. Dear another, my Lord, like the waves of the sea, it just don't stop. When we've been there 10,000 years, I mean, this thing just keeps coming. What keeps coming upon the believer? One blessing after another. Anybody need a blessing? Uh, I need a blessing. It's coming. Get ready. It's coming. Why? Because the Bible says the blessings of God come in like the waves of the sea after, uh, when you walk with them and when you grow in that knowledge. Because that grace, we just said the grace comes from, look at that next verse. Verse, for the law was given through Moses, but here it is. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Amen. See, that's why we got to know Jesus. That's why we got to walk with Jesus. That's where the grace comes. I need grace. Get closer to Jesus. I need grace. Get in the Word of Jesus. Amen. And from that relationship comes that grace. And not only grace, but peace. Peter says peace. Oh my goodness. He's writing to Christians. So we know it's not just the peace with God. That's a done deal. That happened when we got saved. But he's speaking of the peace of God. That inner working of God's grace that keeps us steady and calm and content as we walk through the trials of life. As we go through this fallen world and things come at us that are unfair, unclean, ungodly, but we're here until He calls us home. But yet, those that will walk with Jesus will have an abundance not only of grace, but of that divine peace that will settle within us, keep us strong when others are falling out, keep us singing when others are growing bitter. There is a working of the Spirit that is called not just peace with God, 
God, but the peace of God. It is an inner enabling, an inner strength, an inner working of the Spirit that keeps us calm when all around us can be chaos, that keeps us clear thinking when words are coming and accusations are flying, but there's something in us. I've got something that the world can't give and the world can't take it away. For greater is He that's within us than He that is in the world. For the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells within us. So within us, there is a peace that passes understanding. Let that anxiety go and let the peace of God flow. Let that oppression and fear go and let the peace of God flow. Let that continual harassment and that battling in the midnight hour, let it go! Peace be still by the Prince of Peace Himself. It's good to read the introduction of some of these books, isn't it? Amen. Verse 1 and verse 2. Hallelujah. Glory to God. See, I think my battery was going. Any good thing we got one up there? You'd be here, you'd be here till 3 and I finally figure it out. I catch on. No, I got <laughs> Oh, what a God, what a God, what a God we serve. Isn't it wonderful to serve the Lord? Our faith, we started out and we said the Christian life begins with faith. It's like precious faith. But that faith, first sub-point, it's in a person. It's in the Lord Jesus. Not in a religion, not in a creed, not, but in a person. And that means a personal relationship that grows as we know Him and walk with Him, feed on Him. Because again, you see through verses 2 and 3, peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now next time, we'll start with verse 3. His divine power has given. Has given. That means you possess it now. Isn't that wonderful? you got it right now. The divine power has given everything. Woo, everything's good. That's like abundance, isn't it? I like those words. Amen. Everything we need for life at whatever you're going through. Everything you need. Pastor, my trial's hard. I, I don't I don't belittle that for a second, but but your God is stronger. Your God is mightier. And he knows what you need, and he's available to give all that you know. It's everything. Verse three. Everything we need for life and through what? Here it is, through our knowledge of gets us back to Jesus every time, doesn't it? You can't get away from it's all about Jesus. You can't get away from walking with him. Knowledge of him. Not just the head knowledge, it's part of it, but the relationship knowledge. Oh, my goodness. Called us by His own glory and goodness. Through our knowledge. That means abiding in the vine. Feeding on His Word. Drawing near to that throne of grace. Staying filled with the Spirit. Exercising what we do presently have. Growing and enjoying the fullness of the salvation. Our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Make sure you know Him personally. And make sure you're living for Him. Presently and publicly. Uh, we're we're going to... We'll stop there. And the next time, we'll have to look at not only faith in a person, but faith involves God's power. Verse 3. Faith involves God's promises. Verse 4. But as we, as we close down our service, let, let's, let's remember the overall thought here. Our title is Making Salvation Sure. Making, that's what Peter's calling them to. 
making assurance, giving them the evidences that we should be looking at, the things we should be responding to, by growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, bearing fruit, producing the evidence. Now, what we'll see next time is simply this, that spiritual growth, and here's important, spiritual growth is not automatic. It requires cooperation and application. Cooperation with God. Remember, sanctification It's a choice, it's a process, it's a partnership. It's cooperation with God and the application of spiritual diligence and discipline. Very similar to where Paul writes in Philippians 2, we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So Peter reminds us of the great spiritual riches that we have. And we are rich spiritually in Jesus Christ. The abundance of God belongs to the available to the people of God. I don't know about you. I've had some relatives every now and again that they were pretty well off. But it didn't do me any good. Amen. It wasn't coming my way. See what I mean? It didn't help me at all, man. A good goodie for them. But that, 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 that abundance wasn't flowing this way. Let's put it that way. Isn't it right? But the Lord says, hey, my streams are flowing towards you. You're my child. So Peter reminds us of the great spiritual riches and privilege we presently possess. And God desires to flow abundantly in our lives. But also, and this is what Peter is really going to begin to stress next time, when he says, be diligent, make every effort to add, to grow. Our our responsibility that we have to do our part to really continue to grow in this grace and knowledge, to enjoy the fullness of this salvation. Now we're going to open the altar, we'll pray our last prayer and sing our last song, but let's make sure that we're, we're, we're a people that are diligently pursuing the fullness of God, that we're growing in the grace and knowledge of our God. Let's stand and let's get ready to pray. Father, we love You so much. We thank You so much. You're so good to us. We are such a blessed people. I thank You, Lord, that You lavish upon Your people grace and peace and righteousness. Words like abundance and multiplied are words that describe this great salvation You've given us. Hallelujah. Folks, we're going to pray and then we're going to open the altar. And if you're here today and for any reason your heart's not where it needs to be with the Lord, don't just leave. Come and make it right. If you need someone to pray with you, someone will be here to talk with you and pray with you. But even if you're here today and things are wonderful between you and the Lord, but you have a need. It might be a physical need. Maybe you just want to come and seek the Lord at the altar. That's why we have this time at the very end. That we can respond to the Word of God. That we can pray one for another. And if someone does have a need, that you can come and someone can stand with you and the brothers and sisters can join faith together, believing together. We pray, Father, may no one within the sound of my voice be spiritually lazy concerning their salvation, but may all of us who possess a true salvation in Christ have that genuine assurance within and the clear evidence without. Help us, Lord, to continue to grow and mature in advance in our walk with You. And now I pray, Father, as we open these altars, let the wind of the Holy Spirit blow refreshing and reviving upon the people of God. Father, You know every need. You know every circumstance. Father God, let the wind of the Spirit blow. You know those that are weary. You know those that are hurting. Refresh them. Revive them. In the name of Jesus, Father, let Your healing hand be stretched forth. Let there be healing. Let there be deliverance. Let there be fresh impartations. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, draw people unto Yourself. Encourage the faithful. Let Your will be done as we seek Your face. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, if you need prayer, please come. If not, sing it one time through.